0: Right before Pesach, instead of saying oh, Tyron Shkolem, I figured I would talk about something very relevant: the size of a Kesias. Now you know that you know in the stores they used to sell these papers, the green, you know, this large for, for matzah, this large after Kaiman and this large. Many of them were the size of a machine matzah, even larger. Like you really had to eat a lot for Kesias. Okay, so let's talk about it. How large is a Kesias? So here's a popular misconception: Kesias makes you satisfied. That's not true. That's by kaseves hagas bim kippas where it's discussed, but a kezayis is rather the smallest amount of eichel that has any hashivas. Less than that is like crumbs, like you know, a piece falls off a a bagel, or that's not really called eichel. A kezayis gives it a shame eichel. You see the similar concept. Let's say by kedushin, how much is you can be issue with a pruta? It's not that she's going to be satisfied with a pruta. The pruta is a lot of money. Pruta is nothing. It's close to a dime. It's that less than a pruta is not called mumine, and you need mumine to be Makada Anisha. So how large is a kezayis? So Ticefist makes a lot of calculations, way too long to get into here, and he says it's a beya. Many of Rabbani Ashkenaz sort of say the same thing. A kezayis is half of an egg, which is interesting, because half of an egg, if you Google it, would be around 22 grams, and a kezayis is a medium kezayis, Google says is four grams, which means it would be like a Five, five olives should go into a Chatzibeya. Taisi says, no, an olive is a Chatzibeya. Now, it's interesting, the Rambam and Chachme Sfard, there's Spain as opposed to Germany. They don't really discuss, Rambam doesn't discuss Zayas at all, even though two places in the Pirisha Mishnai's and in the Chazaka, he talks about the Shiurim of the Torah. But Kazayas, he neglects, which is somewhat surprising. Now, the Rambam, how much does he yield? He says it's less than a third of an egg. He doesn't say how much the riff and the rush both agree, Rambam, riff, and rush interestingly, the Shulchan Aruch is Mach but like Taisvis. now, when you ask people and you say, "How could Taisfus say that it's a half of an egg? when we see today it's different, so they say the size of the egg has changed, and the size of the Zayas has changed, which is interesting because the Aitzzer guynim writes the reason why a Kezaias was chosen by Chazal is because they wanted to pick something that wouldn't be changeable, but something that wouldn't flux. That's why they chose a Kezaias. Now, because of the problem that we know that today five Zasim would fit into a half for olive, this becomes a problem. Additionally, what is the problem is that there are olive trees in Eretz that are over 2,000 and some over 3,000 years. And the olives they give, they, they fruit are pretty much identical with the olives we have today. So you could say maybe the teva of the trees changed over time. That the cheese used to give much bigger olives and now they give much smaller olives. But you could see it's getting a little bit difficult. So here's a thought, an interesting thought that I saw in uh, one of the Akhranim, uh, in the Midas in Shirei Torah. He says, uh, he says an interesting thing. He says that in Germany or France, which were, you know, climates very similar to New York, you know, northern United States, you can't grow an olive tree here. Olive needs, you know, tropical, uh, climate, subtropical for sure, but certainly not over here. If it goes below 32, they would, they would die, the trees. So he said the Chachmei Ashkenaz, which means, you know, Rashi, all the Balei they never saw an olive in their lives. And it's an interesting story I remember seeing as late as the uh, the late 19th century. I saw a bunch of Talmudi HaChemim, one of them was Rabbi Chiel Michal Tokachinsky, I believe he was a child, and they were passing, traveling from Europe to Israel, and they passed through Turkey, and somebody gave them some olives, and they were very spoiled, they said, this is the holy olive, the olive HaKadosh that the Torah talks about, and they ate it, and then they spit it out, because... It's not like a, a grape, it was like a sour. And, and they thought that the Arab uh, person who gave them the olives was trying to poison them. Which as late as the late 19th century, they had never seen an olive. And I'll tell you some riots to this, that Teisvis never saw an olive. And one is, Teisvis in Psacham on the Flamed Vav, he says, the olive itself is not a bitter fruit. And this that it says that the olive is bitter, it means that the the, the wood of the tree is bitter. Now, if you Google this, too, you'll see that olives are one of the most bitter fruits, maybe the most bitter fruit that there is. It's bitterly bitter, it says. They have eulerpin and phenolic compounds that make it extremely bitter when it's, uh, when it's, uh, it goes to its entire pasturation system, salting system, etc. So, Ticefis, who says the olive itself is not bitter, would seem never so an olive. Here's another interesting thing. Taisfis in Yuma and Afpeh is dealing with the struggle of Rabbeinu Tam, and he tries to answer it. He says, A fig, there's two types of figs. He says, There's a times you take the pit out of the fig, and there's a times you leave the pit in the fig, and therefore he wants to answer Akash of Rabbeinu Tam. Now, everybody knows there are no pits in figs. But if you never saw an olive, you probably never saw a fig either. Again, only grows in subtropical climates. And the third thing is, uh, from the Mishnah in Menachas and Afpevav, so there's is showing them how to learn in Taisas. Learn in means the olive tree fruits three times a year. Sort of like wheat, you could have winter wheat and summer wheat. Now, olives, not only do they not fruit three times a year, they usually only fruit every second year. Occasionally, they'll do every year, but every second year. So if Taisas never saw an olive tree, you could say that they, they fruit three times a year. Now, let's go to the Chachmiz Fard. In the last hundred years, two new svarim came out. One was a new Tshuvas Harajba, another volume in Tshuvas Harajba. And the Tshuvas Harajba says that the shear of 15 eggs, it would take much more, much more than 60 olives to be the same shear as 15 kibetzim, which means he's learning that uh, at the minimum, even though he says it's much more, a olive would be a quarter of an egg. But he says much more. He doesn't say how much more. Now his great Talmud, the Ritva, says, and for that came out subsequently says, there are nine olives in a beitza, which really makes sense, because if they're basically four and a quarter o- ounces each, and in a beya there's 44 ounces, the Ritzvah would actually line up with our olives of today. Bottom line is, if you want to be machmer and use those red-green charts and eat an amatza, the entire thing, Tavia Lecha bracha, on the other hand, if you can't eat it, maybe, or you, you know, your wife doesn't want to eat it, or your children don't want to eat it, you can certainly be saimach on all these opinions that hold that an olive just really means an olive, the ritzvah and many others. And I believe that the stipler held this way, and they say, Chaim Velazhen, or somebody who's was buying him, he asked him for a kazayas, so he gave him on a, on a spoon, the size of a zayas, on the end of a spoon, a regular season, it was a regular eating spoon, somebody who needed to make kiddush, bamakam, suda, there are also any number of other achrayim uh, who say that an olive really means an olive. So if you want to be machmer, again tavi alach that's wonderful. You're a shemaim in mitzvahs to be machmer mitzvahs is wonderful. But if you can't or don't want to, yes, the size of an olive is indeed an olive. Leaving Mitzrayim, Moshe did one thing very important to him. Vayikach Moshe es atz he took the atzimies of Yosef, the atzimies of Yosef, the essence of who Yosef was. Well, what was the essence of Yosef? And what is it we say every night by davening? V'yaytziyis ama Yisrael eternal freedom. Well, if you're Jewish and you read a little Jewish history, post-Mitzrayim, we've been imprisoned, we've been roasted and broiled and locked up, we've been sent to the gulags in Siberia. What's this he's talking about? Let me suggest an answer. The first set of brothers in the Torah Cain and Hevel. Not very good. Cain was plagued by jealousy. He murdered his brother. Who's the next set of brothers we read about? Neuer's three sons. One of them commits an off- a very bad offense. So Neuer condemns him to servitude to his two brothers. He became the slave to his two brothers. Again, not a happy family. Later we read about Avram's two sons, Yishmuel and Yitzchak. When Yishmael begins mis- mistreating his younger brother, Avram banishes Yishmael from the family. No Thanksgiving dinner. One generation later, Esau sets out to murder Yaakov. He's frustrated, but he tries. In the next generation, Yosef's brothers plan on murdering him. And instead, they sell him into slavery, and they earn some money in the process of eliminating him from the family. It's a dreadful pattern of fraternal strife enmity, the first 2,000 years of existence. But now go to Yosef's two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. No hostility, beautiful, peaceful home. We find nothing of the prior generation's enmity among them. What was it that Yosef did? How did he do it? What could we learn from it? Let me suggest an answer. When Yaakov comes to bench, bless, the two children of Yisef, Ephraim, and Manasseh, sichel his He puts his right hand on the younger one, Ephraim, and the left hand, the smaller hand, the powerless hand, on Manasseh, to show he tells Yasef, that Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh. And Yasef looks at his father, and what's he thinking? Yisrael Saba, Papa, he says, look what favoritism caused in our family. What does the Gemara say? La'olam al Yishane Adam what happens? it created such hate they tried to kill me they sold me when you show favoritism you can't do it Yaakov can't hear it that's a different discussion why not but what does Yosef say to his father? avi and you know what he does by Lo'ychein avi? it's a new doctrine 2,000 years of dysfunctionality stops right now I will not allow the narrative of yesterday to define what my today and what my tomorrow will be. And what happens after Yosef does this declaration, the next two brothers in the Torah, what does it say? the Samach And what does Rashi say? Even though you were younger and greater, he had no bad feelings. The two brothers got along again. And what's the message here? some people let the narrative of the past control them my grandfather had a temper my father had a temper i have a temper my grandfather drank my father drank i drank my grandfather had an unhappy marriage my father had an unhappy marriage i'll have an happy marriage etc 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 whatever generational dysfunction looks like what does joseph teach us you can be free of that you can create your own narrative and don't have to be defined by any narrative that preceded you it could be a familial narrative it could be a narrative of a neighborhood of a whatever socioeconomic standard you're living in you can create your own narrative this is the end of the uh, two months or so that I did the DAF the daily DAF I'm stopping now it's Pesach if my listeners were here I would embrace each one of you I'd hug you individually it's been a wonderful experience I wanted also note that very little of the Torah that I've said is my own. Maybe I formed it or shaped it in a different way, but it's mostly Torah that I received from Sinai, from my holy rebis. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly put my heart into it. I wish you all a Chag V'samech.